Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from Talk Sport with me Sam Matterface the former Republic of Ireland captain Matt Holland and Talk Sport's football correspondent Alex Crook on what is a huge game day in the race for fourth place we are improving. We are improving a lot, and after four months and half that we are working, we improved a lot. Now we are a, a strong team. Manchester United against Tottenham is live on game day this weekend. We also have Liverpool against Brighton too, and at the bottom it could be pivotal. The Bees take on Burnley in West London, and Leeds face Norwich. Whilst Everton welcome Wolves. The latest on Chelsea, where three is no longer the magic number, and much, much more. It's all on the game day podcast from Talksport. Hello to Matt Holland and Alex Crook. How are we? All right? Very well indeed. Yourself? Yeah, very good. Thank you. You look, uh, Crook looks quite sprightly this morning. So uh, I wonder, did you have, you worked last night? You went to Southampton, didn't you? Yeah, I did. King uh, Ralph lost again. It, actually. It, he did. Yeah. And uh, top trolling that backfired from the Southampton PA announcer, uh, playing all money theme songs. Uh, at half time, like dirty cash, money, 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 money can't buy you love. But who, in the for? Case of who for? Castle, who for? I think it probably can. And uh, Bruno Guimaraes with that back heel winner, absolutely sensational. Do you know what? They weren't brilliant, Newcastle, as Eddie admitted in the press conference afterwards. But what they were uh, was hard working, united. The team spirit, speaking to people inside the camp, is fantastic. And it's six wins in seven games. All of a sudden, they're 10 points clear. But the relegation places, they're safe, let's be honest. Yep, I think they are. It's going to be very difficult now for them to end up uh, going down, which is a great turn of events uh, for Newcastle United fans. Not great if you back them alongside Norwich and Burnley to go down at the beginning of the season and were due for a windfall. Hey, but you know what? You can't have everything. Um, Eddie, uh, Eddie t- has taken on Saints now in three different divisions. And that was only his third win in 15 meetings against Southampton. It was an odd quirk of the statistical books, I thought. They go to Chelsea this weekend, though, and his record there is is altogether much better. I think it's uh, three wins in his last five visits to Stamford Bridge. Yeah, let's not talk... four different Chelsea managers. (laughs) Let's not talk about that too much because Newcastle got a terrific record against them. Uh, Matt, you were at uh, that Norwich game when you are watching Chelsea, who did have their sponsor on the front of their kit obviously the the sponsor now has asked to be removed from the kit going forward uh but three was the magic number in terms of the scoreline quite fitting wasn't it three points three goals very impressive first half performance from Chelsea I thought Norwich though made it very easy for them I was really surprised with Dean Smith that he went with a back three I looked at the way that they Norwich had set up when they played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge 
and they played with a back three, and they I, played the identical system at home to Chelsea. And they got battered seven so nil at Stamford Bridge, didn't they? Beaten seven nil. It could have been it could have been four or five at half time uh, last night. I was surprised he didn't make a change earlier than he did. He did eventually do that at, at half time. He changed the shape, and they were much better in the second half, much more competitive. Uh, but that first half it was far too easy for Chelsea. Okay, let's get on to uh, game day and this weekend's round of Premier League fixtures. There's nine for us to look at because Crystal Palace play uh, against Manchester City on Monday night. So we'll do that on Sunday, Stroke Monday's podcast. Uh, But there's a huge game towards the top of the table in the race for fourth place at Old Trafford. The game's finished 4-1 to Manchester City and look, it could have been more, albeit for the goalkeeper David De Gea who pulled off some outstanding saves. Yeah, for us it's now to look ahead and make sure that we play two good home games against Tottenham and against Atletico and hopefully uh, win those two games. Kane sneaking round the back, brilliant finish. Brilliant finish from Harry Kane. Finished here, Spurs 5, Everton 0. And uh, these up, ups and downs make me very angry. But the players understood very well also this. It's good to arrive at uh, an important game against a really good, good team. Yes, Manchester United against Tottenham is a key game in the race for fourth place. And if Tottenham continue their upward trend, then I think that they can actually push Arsenal uh, for a top four place. We'll get onto the fixtures in just a moment because I think that plays a big part in it. But Tottenham are brilliant at exploiting space in behind the defence, Matt. United will know that from last season. Do they have to, United, defend a bit deeper to, to deny that space to Kane and Son, especially with doubts over Varane and Shaw? They, they probably do. Uh, it's the way they played uh, away at Tottenham when they were so impressive uh, and hit Tottenham on the counter-attack that day. Um, we've seen in the past how Spurs have exploited United at Old Trafford when United have gone gung-ho, been very open, and Spurs have done that that exact job on United. Um, so, it, But it's very difficult. When you're at home, you're at Old Trafford, the crowd are urging you on to go and get those three points, those vital three points, if they've got any chance of finishing in the top four, they have to win this game. Then it's a really difficult one as a player because... You feel as though you want to go off and, and go chasing after things and going closing people down uh, and try and get at the opposition. But actually, tactically, it would probably be better to sit in and, and try and reduce the space that Son and Kane can work in and try and hit Tottenham on the counter. Both sides will probably want to play the same way in many ways. Chasing people down, going into tackles, throwing themselves into everything, certainly not a characteristic you would associate with Manchester United in last week's game. Absolutely abysmal after going 3-1 down last week. They actually failed to have a single shot in the entire second half, the first time uh, that that has happened since uh, October 2017. But their lack of reaction to going 3-1 down saw them barely make a pass in the attacking third from that point on. Um, this is a team whose resistance, character, spirit is easy to break. And that's why I fancy Spurs to go out there and cause problems early on because their manager will demand it. And United, well, Crook, I'm not sure they can demand anything. Now, it's, it's becoming an increasingly obvious problem that the fact that Ralph Rangnick is only an interim manager is diminishing the respect that the players in the dressing room have for him. I don't necessarily think that 
it's his fault. I think it's an issue in terms of the direction the club are going. And I think it also speaks volumes for the type of personality or lack of that they currently have in that squad. I'm worried about this game. I think if Tottenham play as well as they did against Everton and United are half as bad as they were against Manchester City, this could well be another dark day for Manchester United. There's the issue with Cristiano Ronaldo. Do they play him in this game or do they save him for the Champions League in midweek? And if you look at it now, probably the only way they're going to get back into the Champions League next season is by winning that competition. So you could argue the Atletico game is more important. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because they won't finish in the top four. They won't win the Champions League. There's going to be a mass clear out in the summer and it needs a complete cultural reset. What also disappointed me was the stories coming out on Monday, clearly leaked by the Marcus Rashford camp that he is, quote, considering his future. How about you consider playing well for the first time in 18 months and you might be in a much stronger position to start leaking those type of stories? I don't think it's a bad decision, though, is it? You know, it was good for all parties, I think, if he ends up moving on because I think he's lost his mojo to play for Manchester United. He hasn't, as you say, delivered much in the last 18 months. He hasn't delivered anything for England in the last 18 months either. Guy needs a a change of scenery, doesn't he, Matt? Where does he think he's going to go? Does it matter? Why do you? Why are you worried about that? It's up to him to find him himself a new path. It clearly isn't working at Manchester United. Well, I think it's, I think it's a difficult one with with Marcus Rashford. Clearly, he's low on confidence. Um, you never know. A new manager comes in, gives him that arm around the shoulder. He might well change his mindset. He might well change the way he performs in in a United shirt. But at the moment, it looks like it's weighing heavy. Everything that, that's happening at Old Trafford, um, the fact that he's he's out of form, he's not playing as many games as he'd like to, it's weighing heavy on it at the moment. But a new manager might come in, put his arm around him, uh, and, and that things can be very different. It's amazing how how quickly things can change in football. I'm amazed actually, Cricky, that you're I'm amazed, Cricky, that you're writing United off for the top four as well. I know Arsenal are in pole position. I know Arsenal have got games in hand. Those games in hand that they've got are very difficult games. Yes. They've still got to play Man United as well. I wouldn't write it off just yet. You're a you're a typical negative United fan, Crookie. Yeah, but aren't you a negative t- typical United fan because they're rubbish? Yeah. You know, in order to, to bridge that gap to the top four, they need to string together a consistent run of victories. Do you think this team at the moment is capable of doing that? Because I've not seen too many signs of it in recent weeks and months. I, I, well, I understand, I understand that they haven't played particularly well, but the results under Ralph Ranick haven't been that bad. I know the performance in the second half against Man City was a really poor one. The first half wasn't. First half, they played well in the first half against against Man City. But, but Matt, they uh, haven't played team... anyone, have they? I mean, they haven't, in, in that run, these 16 games since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was sacked, uh, they beat, I think, did they beat Arsenal in the first game after he was sacked on the Thursday night? But that was Michael Carrick uh, taking that game. After that, I mean, they haven't played anyone. They've played no teams of any note during that run. I, look, I, I, I take on board what you're saying. I still feel that with the quality of players that United have got, they are capable of going on a run. I'm not saying they're going to finish in the top four, but I'm saying they're capable of finishing the top four. And I'm amazed that Crook is writing them off so early. Mm, OK, um, now listen, further complicating matters is the second leg with Atletico Madrid on Tuesday night. That will add extra pressure. And will it it force Ralph Rangnick to think about uh, sort of the medium term when he's making his team selection? Do you gamble with Ronaldo in this game on Saturday when you may well need him on Tuesday? If he's back from Portugal, that is. Don't worry about Tuesday. Don't even think about Tuesday. Just worry about this one in front of you. Pick your best team to win this game. Then if everyone comes through it, everyone's fine. You assess it again on Sunday. You look at the players. Are they fit enough to go again? And then you worry about it then. 
But right now, you worry about this one, and that's the only one that matters. Do you think Edinson Cavani will fancy turning up for either of the two games and actually doing his job? Is that a possibility? Hey, listen, I've got some good news for you, though, okay? And, I, you know, I, I, I do think, you know... We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. No, we don't talk about Bruno enough um, because the statistics reveal, actually, uh, that uh, Bruno Fernandes has 15 Premier League goal involvements this season, which is more than any other midfielder. Now, it hasn't always felt like that this season, but did you know, did you know, uh, that he has scored nine goals, which for a midfielder is number one in the Premier League rank, joint most with Smith Rowe and De Bruyne. Uh, Goal involvements, 15, first in terms of rank in the Premier League, two more than any other midfielder. Chances created, 76, 24 more than the next most, which is De Bruyne. And chances created from open play, 66, 19 more than the next most, which is Bernardo Silva. Through balls, 20, which is the first in the Premier League. Three more than the next best, Erdegaard. And passes into the opposition box, 221, first in the Premier League. 117 more than any other Manchester United teammate. Yeah, swivel those hips. Build it all around Bruno, surely. What about Strop's throne? Have you got uh, statistics for that? Yes, uh, rank number one, 113 more than any other player in the Premier League. That blind, that blinds that blinds people, I think, because of the way he, his antics are sometimes. And I think that takes away from what he, what he is capable of and what he does do for United because he is a quality player. There's no doubt about it. Um, he tries things. He makes things happen for them. But his reactions to certain events and going down easily at times, I think frustrates a lot of people. So that, that I think takes away from how good a player he actually is at times. One of Tottenham's big rivals for the top four is Arsenal. They take on a resurgent Leicester on Sunday at 4.30. The Foxes didn't play particularly well last Saturday at Leeds United, but they won the game. And uh, I suppose the good news for, for the Gunners is that Jamie Vardy isn't fit because he got the winner at the Emirates last season. He has eight goals in his last nine Premier League games against uh, Arsenal. And without him, Leicester don't really have the same level of threat, Crook. No, it makes a huge difference uh, to the Leicester team as, as we've seen with the games that he has missed this season and their sequence of results. They picked up another confidence-boosting victory against Ren in midweek, although I get the impression that, once again, it wasn't a stellar um, Leicester performance. I think this is a good opportunity uh, at home for Arsenal to cement their grip on the top four. Uh, I think where they, they differ from Manchester United, for example, we've been talking about who could play, what's the 11 going to be. I think at this moment in time, you pretty much know what the 11 is going to be for Arsenal. It's a very settled side. I think it speaks volumes that even when he is fit, Emil Smith-Rowe at the moment is not guaranteed a starting place because of how well Martin Erdegaard is playing. I was impressed with them at Watford last weekend, Arsenal. I think 3-2 was um, the least they deserved. I think it flattered Watford. I think they're in a good place at the moment, but... I suppose the mentality shift now is that everybody is telling them all of a sudden they are favourites for the top four. Maybe that might just ramp up the pressure. It's a young team and, and possibly that could come into it now. You mentioned ML Smith-Rowe, but he hasn't really been fit for a while. I mean, he should be back in this weekend after returning from COVID. He had an illness before that and then an injury before that. Lacazette took a hell of a whack, a killer whack in training from Thomas Partey uh, this week. But apparently... He is going to be available to play. He's essential, isn't he? Because he he knits together all those buzzing around in the top end of the pitch, Matt. 
do you know what? I, I actually thought they were quite open against Watford. I, I know Crookie said that, that Arsenal dominated and thoroughly deserved to win, and they, they probably did because they played some wonderful stuff going forward. But but actually, you know, Watford had some decent chances, and, and they are quite open at, at times. So, um, Well, Watford Partey, did score twice, didn't they? I mean, that is well, worth pointing out. And they, and they had some big chances on top of that as well. The one that Manuel Danis had at the far post when, when he should have done better as well. So they did have some big, big opportunities in the game. Um, I still think you can get at this Arsenal team. Obviously, Partey is is essential to it, particularly with the way they play in Xhaka slightly higher up the pitch as well, that he just sits there and he's, he's quite disciplined in, in his role. Um, but it's so good to watch Martin Elliott, Erdegaard and Saka at the moment. They're electric, they're, their movement, their quality. It's um, it's exciting, I think, for Arsenal that they've got those three and Smith-Rowe in reserve. They've got some quality players in forward positions. And they seem to swat aside the also-runs in the league, but they struggle when they come up against the very, very good teams. Now, Leicester aren't a very, very good team. They haven't been that this season at all. But on their day, they they can be, can't they? And they can cause problems. Yeah, I was at, I was at Leicester last week for the game against Leeds and they were fortunate. They didn't deserve to, to win the game. They did win the game and they can be difficult opposition. I would, I would expect Arsenal to win this one. And it, the bottom line is with Arsenal, it, the, the top three a miles ahead of everybody else. Well, Man City, Liverpool, well, Chelsea. Well, unless Chelsea get docked 115 points. <laughs> but let's let's worry about that when that happens. But but Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea are streets ahead of the rest. And and there's about three or four clubs who are fighting for that, that fourth position at the moment. Arsenal amongst them. Um, I fancy Arsenal to win this one. OK, do you fancy Arsenal to finish in the top four, though? Because I've started to come around to the idea that Tottenham Hotspur might indeed uh, finish in the top four. The reason for my thinking is pretty simple, really, is that the fixtures really do favour Antonio Conte's men. They've won three of their last four, for example. Arsenal, yes, on a very good run. I think they've won four in a row in the Premier League. But they've still got to face Manchester United, West Ham away from home, Chelsea away from home, and Tottenham away from home before the end of the season, plus Liverpool as well. It's a really tricky run-in uh, for the Gunners. And as we've already mentioned, it's when they play those top sides that they usually come unstuck, Crookie. Whereas Tottenham Hotspur, yes, they've, they've got to play Big games. They've got to play Manchester. Oh, got to play Manchester United. Not necessarily a massive game. They'll probably get three points there rather easily. Uh, West Ham at home uh, and Arsenal at home. West Ham could be involved in European competition. Fingers crossed when that happens. So look, look. There's every chance I think that Antonio Conte, if he can just keep his group together and focused, which has not always been easy, that they can get into the top four. Yeah, and actually they've proved, haven't they, with uh, the results they've picked up against Manchester City in particular, that they do have what it takes to beat the very best sides in the country. Um, probably man for man, there is an argument that Tottenham are, are equally as good as this young Arsenal team, but you, you just never know which Spurs are going to turn up. You know, the one that have beaten Manchester City twice or the one that gets rolled over uh, away from home against Burnley. It, it, ultimately, it will come down to who is most consistent between now and the end of the season, but you're right, just listing those fixtures if, if, you, if you're saying it's a shootout between Tottenham and Arsenal I tend to think it is I, I disagree with Matt I think United are not part of the conversation anymore for me Arsenal might have to pick up something you don't expect them to against one of those sides having said that I think their home record against Manchester United is pretty good you know I've got no faith in United I don't see that as a particularly testing fixture for Arsenal um, yeah, Manchester United might not even finish in the top seven the way we're talking here the way Crookie's talking, <laughs> it's, only, it's only Crookie. <laughs> my, my, my opinion on the top four has been changing regularly. Yeah. And, and it's the same at the bottom as well. I, I, you know, 
four or five weeks ago, Newcastle were certain to go down. Look at their resurgence. And so my mind keeps changing as to who's going to finish in the top four. Honestly, I think it's so difficult to predict. Uh, Leicester have failed to score in just one of their 12 Premier League away games this season. So it's likely that they will get on the score sheet. Uh, West Ham United, uh, they're still in with a outside chance of the top four. The Europa League fixture with Sevilla is, uh, or Sevilla is finally uh, poised. They sit three points behind Arsenal in the race for the top four. But they've played three games more. And they face a Villa team who have won three in a row for the first time in 18 months. Although we did have a little bit of an issue because statistically um, the press officer came up to me and said, hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of information here before you speak to Stephen Gerrard. This is on Thursday night in the aftermath of the Leeds game. He says, this is the first time we've won three Premier League games back to back for 12 years. And I went, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I'll start with that then. And as I started talking uh, to Stephen Gerrard, he went, oh, no, 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 it's not true. And then when I checked it out, it was the first time in, in 18 months. Yeah, so I think he got a little bit overexcited there. Was, um, it, was it the first time they've won three on the spin without conceding in that lot? I, I think that was what it was, yes. I think it was I think it was just a quirk in the statistic, yes. Uh, three in a row without conceding in 12 years, something like that. Anyway, look, they're doing quite well. And one of the things that they did really well on um, Thursday night was is they weathered the, the Leeds United storm. You know what Leeds United are like. They throw everything at you and they sucked it up and then just waited and then Coutinho pulled the strings and they waited for the gaps to open and they exploited them. There won't be as many gaps against West Ham United, but they do have the people to finish it when eventually they get a chance, don't they? Yeah, they look a team high in confidence uh, at the moment. Coutinho in, in full flight is, is a joy to watch. I mean, what about the strike from Callum Chambers Whoa. in midweek? Where did, where did that come from? Uh, I'm not convinced anybody uh, believed that he had that in his locker. Uh, another goal for Matty Cash. Was that three for the season now bombing forward from right back? Ever since they he just... got called up for Poland, that's it. He's turned into a different guy. Kashlovsky, he's just, he's, he's been brilliant. And and they just look like a team who've got a spring in their step and are playing with confidence at the moment. And it might be a good time to play West Ham because, as you say, one nil away from home against Sevilla isn't the worst result in the world. It's going to be a full house at London Stadium next week. They'll be confident they can turn that around and progress in the Europa League. And I think in many ways that game is their priority now. So it will be interesting to see if David Moyes goes to his bench and tries to, to rest a couple of players. If he does that, I think we know the West Ham squad isn't particularly strong and that might just suit Villa. Don't say that to him though, because he had to go at me on Saturday night when I mentioned that to him. Uh, Declan Rice, impressive in Sevilla, but he, he's going to have his work cut out trying to keep hold of Coutinho, buzzing around Ings and Watkins, isn't he, Matt? Yeah, I think they, they look a slightly tired team, West Ham. Um, when I've watched them recently... They just look as though they're lacking that extra bit of sharpness. And, and that's a result of not being able to make as many changes as David Moyes would like. Look, early on in the season, he, he went strong in the Europa League. And I was really a big advocate of that. I enjoyed the fact that he was taking the competition seriously. So many teams getting themselves into the Europa League and then make seven or eight changes. They get knocked out in the group stages and, and that's their, their camp, European campaign over. David Moyes didn't do that. He picked strong teams all the way through the early um, rounds of the, the, the competition and, and that's why they're in this position now and that's why they, they're, they're probably third or fourth favourites to finish fourth because they've still got this on the horizon Arsenal and Tottenham no European competition helps them and at the moment West Ham do look a slightly slightly tired team um, and that'll suit Aston Villa the way that they're buzzing around at the moment um, so this is a, a really tricky game for West Ham, really tricky game. Both teams have scored in 17 of West Ham's 28 league games this season and uh, certainly Aston Villa looked like it could score 
at any moment. Okay, let's get to the bottom of the table. Terrible last half an hour for Jesse Marsh and for Leeds United, who get booed off at the end of the game. But Leeds are staring towards the relegation zone. Leeds nil, Aston Villa three. I was never bowing at the Temple of Bielsa. I hated all this sycophantic nonsense about he's the coach's coach, right? He's a good coach that's got Leeds playing in the right direction and he hit a moment of adversity. I still believe that the better return would have been to have kept him in place and maybe change him at the end of the season and I think they would have stayed up. The one thing that I can promise you is that I'm not afraid of the, of the moment and the situation. In some ways, I like having my back against the wall, right? Because I think that this business is not about how good you are when it's good. It's about how good you are when it's when it's really tough. And clearly we have a situation that is really tough. Leeds against Norwich is 2pm on Sunday. I think there were a couple of encouraging signs for Leeds United in Jesse Marsh's first game in charge when they uh, lost to Leicester by a goal to nil. Matt was there. I watched that game because I was doing the Leeds-Villa game on Thursday night. But the manner of their disintegration against Villa has thrown them right in it at the bottom of the table. Basically, if Burnley or Everton win one of their plethora of games in hand over Leeds, Leeds are in the bottom four, uh, bottom three, sorry. Um, Contrast that with Norwich, who actually did okay in the second half against Chelsea after being very passive in the first half against the Blues. I mean, this game could be anything, couldn't it? Leeds could win this 6-0, they could draw 5-5, or it could be 0-0. I mean, either way, these two are both going down, aren't they, Matt? What I would say is Leeds have managed to get the job done against teams around them in the table. Um, and, and so for that reason, I make them them favourites in this one. Uh, I was impressed with the way they set up against Leicester. There was more structure to them defensively. They kept their fullbacks in position for the large part of the game, certainly for about an hour or so until they were starting to chase it. Two midfielders sat in front of the back four and they let the front four try and do their work going forward. And there was a better structure to the way they played. Obviously, a damaging result against Aston Villa. And and Jesse Marsh talked about the pressure of, of a home crowd. And that is a thing. That can be a thing, particularly when things are going badly. You know, you, every every mistake you make is accentuate, accentuated. The fans get on your back. You start doing things that you shouldn't do. You start making silly decisions because, because the crowd are on your case as well. Um, and this is obviously a game that it's quite simply... They have to win. So the pressure is ramped up to enormous levels. So I still think man for man, they're better than Norwich. They've done the job against teams around them generally this season. And I think they'll have enough quality to come through it. But it is a huge pressure game. Everybody's better than Norwich, but uh, Leeds have uh, lost seven of their last eight Premier League games. They concede an alarming amount of goals. Absolutely ridiculous number of goals 68 goals they've conceded in all competitions this season so far um it was very frenetic in that first 45 minutes and I think Jesse Marsh complained about that afterwards he was saying you know we were very well structured against Leicester but in this game straight away people were doing their own thing I spoke to him afterwards I must admit I felt as if it it came across as it all was a little bit too big for him and I don't think it's particularly fair to have thrown him into this situation because this is a guy who's got zero experience of the Premier League, although he did then regale to me that he knew exactly what happened in this league and he knew all the players and he knew the history of Leeds United, which I'm sure he does. And you know, But 
feeling the Premier League, being part of the Premier League for a number of years is probably required if you're going to get thrown in at the deep end into a deep relegation fight where you've got to pull results out of the bag because otherwise your team are going to disappear. I don't know whether or not they would have been better off just getting some gnarled old manager in for the last eight games of the season and then brought Jesse Marsh in, in the summer. He looks like a rabbit in the headlights, to be honest. He speaks like uh, a politician trying to win votes at the, the ballot box. He just doesn't fill with any kind of conviction uh, with the things that he's saying. And I'm interested, you were there in, in midweek. What was the atmosphere like at the road? Because I've seen a lot of messages on social media from Leeds fans who are far from happy yeah. uh, with the decisions that are being made. I saw one fan say this is the worst football since Paul Heckingbottom was in charge. So when that crowd turns against you, I think that could be a problem for future home games. If they if they lose this game, I think they'll go down. If they don't win this game, they might go down. Norwich are the worst team in the Premier League. They have been all season. But this is huge pressure on Leeds United. I know they've got Bamford back, but I'm not convinced that Jesse Marsh is, is the man to keep them in the Premier League. I'm really not. Yeah, uh, well, listen, the atmosphere was terrible. Um, they actually played really well for about 15 minutes after half-time, and I thought they're going to turn the side here. But they just had no one to put the ball in the back of the net. They brought on Gelhard at half-time. They tried to, to have a focal point, but Dan James just makes the wrong decisions in the final third. Even Rafinha's crossing, it wasn't great. Rodrigo was dreadful in the first 45 minutes and was hooked at half-time. Um, they just haven't got the quality. That is a big problem. It's a massive problem for Leeds United. You know, We've spoken about it before. The USP is that they run more than everybody else. But when you take that away, actually, the quality of the players isn't up to scratch. And then when they did go 2-0 and then 3-0 down, which was the key goal, really, you know, the, the Chambers goal... I mean, mutiny was in the air. There was a, Everybody was standing up, going over to the director's box, pointing at Victor Orta, who is the sporting director, screaming in his face. There were chants of Marcelo Bielsa. Um, then there was a, a guy who took off his Leeds United scarf and threw it at Jesse Marsh, and it went into his dugout, and Marsh then kicked it away. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't great. And that was his first home game in charge. It was hardly sort of like, welcome to Leeds, Jesse. <laughs> you mentioned Rafinha there. What was his body language like? Because, again, just seeing his recent performances, there was that strange situation where Bielsa left him out the team against Manchester United. I just get the impression he's given up a little bit. Yeah, no, he, he was okay in the first half. He was running around. He ended up getting booked at the end of the game because he he, he lashed out at someone. His body language was fine, but his delivery that was poor. Um, he nearly scored a, a fantastic goal, but uh, it, it didn't it didn't quite come off. Matt, you were just about to say? Well, uh, I was going to say about um, Jesse Martin. Let's just talk. Let me say about Rafinha first. Um, I, if I was one of the top sides, he's someone that I'd be targeting. A bit like Diogo Jota at Wolves, and he went to Liverpool, and he can fit anywhere across that front three. Rafinha's someone that if I was if I was a manager at any of those top clubs, I'd be looking to get in the summer. And I don't expect him to be at Leeds, regardless of what division they're in next season. Uh, in terms of Jesse Marsh, I think. Listening to some of your comments, I think you've been a bit harsh, to be honest. I mean, he's he's only been there, well, Crookie in particular there, saying he's a, a rabbit in their headlights. I thought that was a bit over the top, really. He's only been there in charge a couple of games. I said, I was at the game against Leicester, and I thought it was a better structure to them. His problem is, he's not Bielsa. Now, Bielsa's lauded at Leeds, rightly so, because of what he's done at, at the club. But that's not Jesse Marsh's fault. He, he, you know, he's, he, he pushed, he's put a structure in place for that, for that Leicester game, which I thought worked for them. I know they got beat, but it could easily and should have won the game. Um, 
Disappointing result at home to Aston Villa. We've seen Aston Villa's form of late. Let's let's just judge him at the end of the season. He's got a, a number of games to try and turn it around. This one is an absolutely must win. I don't think it's Jesse Marsh's fault. I think it's actually no. Bielsa's fault. Because I think some of the problems that they had in the game on uh, Thursday night were actually born out of their, their their inability to adjust to the structure that he's trying to put in place. Because they're so used to darting all around the pitch, chasing after men rather than being in position and, and holding a shape, that when it becomes frenetic and chaotic, they haven't got the discipline to just flex back into where they're supposed to be, where their positions are supposed to be. As a result of that... You know, they leave wide open gaps. I mean, Junior Firpo, he is dreadful. I mean, he is absolutely dreadful. He's never in the right position. He's never, he never gets a decent ball into the box when he's going bombing forward at the other end. And defensively, he's never in the left fullback area. And he- a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. He's a left back. Well, he's not fit for the weekend anyway. And hopefully his injury isn't, isn't too serious, but it didn't look, didn't look good when he went off last night. Just in terms of them chasing after thing, it's easier to do that away from home than it is at home because of the crowd. You know, mm. Going away to Leicester and staying in that structure and staying in that shape away from home, it's easier to do. When you're at home and the crowd are up, there's an energy about the place, it is frenetic, that's when it's difficult as a player to try and put the reins on and hold yourself back when naturally you know that's the right thing to do, but the energy and the and the commitment levels that, that you can feel around the ground make you sort of go and do things that you shouldn't necessarily do. Yeah, I feel a little bit sorry for him. I think he's been put into a situation which in which he cannot win. I mean, even if he does keep them up, everyone will say, well, he should have kept them up anyway because, you know, they, were, they weren't in the relegation zone when he turned up. But actually, everybody else around them had a huge number of games in hand when Bielsa was sacked. So it was a forced position that they were in and they were hurtling towards the relegation before that. Um, so let's see what happens with them. Brentford also trying to uh, stave off relegation. They take on Burnley. Big six-pointer. Uh, Burnley bang in trouble, but they do have games on their side. They'll be looking at that lead situation and thinking, yes, we'll have some of that. Thank you very much. Uh, the issue is winning those games that are on their side. They've won three in 26. They've taken one point from their last three matches, and they could struggle again away at Brentford. Just have scored enough goals. Um, obviously, they, they paid 
semi-decent money for, for Veghorst in the transfer window, but I think they needed a bit more than that. Um, we're still really yet to see his partnership with Maxwell Cornet come to fruition. They got battered in the second half by Chelsea, and it's not often that they do get battered, in fairness, that their defensive record this season is actually pretty good, so that's a bit of a worry. It was just 22 think- minutes, wasn't it? It wasn't even the second half. It was just a 22-minute spell where things went to pieces. Yeah, but again, that capitulation when you, you're fighting for your lives to stay in the, the division w- would be a worry for me if I was a Burnley fan. And I think Brentford, courtesy of that victory at Norwich, can rest a little bit easier. So again, I keep using that word pressure. I think most of the pressure in this game is on Burnley. They really need to get a positive result from it. I mean, it might it might be that the, the, the bottom three are just bad enough that Leeds and, and Everton and Brentford don't have to worry, but... They certainly can't count their chickens on that. But again, are Burnley capable of going on a, a run of victories? I'm not convinced. Mm. Well, I tell you what, I have been impressed with Ivan Tony. Um, his first hat trick, a top flight career um, at the weekend. 93 goals in all competitions since the start of 2018 19. Only Kane and Salah have more than that. Do you think that he'll be at Brentford next year, Matt? I, I think it's been a, a, a difficult season for him in many ways this this year. I mean, look, the, the COVID issues and the long COVID, and I think it, the yeah, injuries yeah. injuries as well, he's suffered, have, have just curtailed his, his progress. I think if you asked Ivan Tony, he would have expected to have had a better season than he's had. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I think he's done well and I like him. And he's he adds some physicality, uh, his hold-up play, um, his... his commitment for the team I've been really impressed with him but taking but, all that into context the fact that he's got nine goals in the Premier League alone for a team like Brentford actually that's that's quite impressive isn't it how many penalties it doesn't matter it's still goals do, do penalties not count as goals I, I agree with Matt you know I mean we've had him on the, the boot room a couple of times he's a very confident character he's clearly got a lot of belief in his own ability I think he'd have been targeting 15, 20 goals in, in the Premier League this well, he season. Might get, so. but he still might get 15 goals. He's still got, he might. Still got a few he games might, to go. But, but the question you ask is, will he be prized away in the summer? I'm not sure he will. I'm, I'm not sure he's played quite well enough for a club to come in and pay uh, big money for him. Uh, that's, I think that's the key, is, is how much is someone willing to pay for him? You know, Brentford aren't going to let him go cheaply. Uh, and you know they're going to want good money for, for Ivan. So I like him. I think he's a, he's a good player. But I think even by his own admission he would have expected to have done better this season. Uh, Everton against Wolves is 2pm on Sunday. Everton battered by Spurs. Um, they would have been hoping for the Wolves that have started leaking goals and struggling to win. But Wolves got a bit of a boost, didn't they, on Thursday night when they battered Watford to within an inch of their lives. Um, just at the right time, um, they came up against Watford. But Everton, they're looking desperate. They do need a victory. The good news, I suppose, and the one saving grace is, Matt, is that the Everton have won three of their four home matches against uh, uh, under Frank Lampard. And actually, the only one they've lost was against Manchester City. And I think Crook and I had a long discussion. And I said to him, the thing you've got to remember is, is that they will do very, very, very well at home. They might not be great away from home, but at home, they'll get the points. And I actually think they might get something from this game. Possibly. I mean, look, they're relying heavily on their home form right now because away from home, they, they, they've been you know all over the place. So they are relying on that Goodison crowd, the, the energy of that Goodison crowd to get them through games. Um, this is a, a another difficult game for them. I know Wolves had had a bad run, but good win against Watford. What a goal by Neves, by the way. You know, if they, they, that Thursday night, there was a it was a goal of the month competition. His <laughs> it home, was, wasn't yeah. it? And, and actually, and it was from people Neves. you wouldn't expect it from, like Callum well, Chambers against Ruben Neves. 
well, Neves, I think, gets my vote of, of all of the goals. I mean, Callum Chambers was a, was a beauty, wasn't it? Top corner. Guimarães is back heel. Um, but but for me, the the quality, the technique, the execution of, of Neves's chip, I thought was was outstanding. He's been brilliant this season. Mm. Neves, he really has been been top class. Matinho alongside him. I like Pedence and and Jimenez. It's good to see him. You know, back in the team as well. Surprised, actually, at some of the changes that Bruno Large made at West Ham a, a couple of weeks back. I know they played on the Thursday night um, and uh, against Arsenal, and, and maybe he felt that he needed to you know, re-energise him. But the position they were in the table at that time, you're just going to pick You just got to pick your best team. You know, we were talking earlier about Man United, and I said, just pick your team on the game ahead. Don't worry about the next one. If someone gets injured, you put someone else in their place. You pick your, your, your best side. And I was surprised at some of those changes, but when they're all playing, you know, Pedence, Neto, back in the team Jimenez Neves and Matinho behind them they're a decent side and Eight Nori made a difference coming back in against Watford as well on that that left hand side that gives them a little bit of extra thrust and um, so yeah this is a a difficult one for Everton um, but they are relying heavily on that home crowd right now Again, like I was saying about Burnley it's a worry where the goals are coming from because Richarlison Seems to have lost his mojo. Calvert-Lewin, I think, is still struggling to get back to full fitness after that long injury layoff. They're making mistakes defensively. Michael King looks like he's going to give away a goal every time the ball comes into the penalty area. So despite what we said about their home form, it it can go both ways because I think if they start on the front foot, the the fans will be behind them. But again, it can turn pretty quickly at Goodison Park. And Wolves are a, a frustrating team for home supporters to play against. I remember taking my lad to Old Trafford and it was a really difficult night because they're, they're just dogged. You know, they're not particularly pleasing on the eye. They pull out all the dark arts. They waste time. Their game management is very good. It spoils the contest at times. If that happens at Everton and it's nil-nil for a long period of the game, I think the fans will start to turn on the players. I think this is a really tricky fixture. Difficult to look at, difficult to watch, not very comfortable. Employs the dark arts. Your son would have been used to all that sitting next to you. Uh, still to come, we've got a big Chelsea chat. We'll talk about Southampton and King Ralph, whose crown has slipped. And next we go to Brighton. We want to finish as high as we can, we want to finish with as many points as we can, try to get three points against one of the best teams in the world. It's aimed in towards Mane who headed it beyond Ramsdale and scores and Liverpool finally get in front. In my mind, unfortunately, because I know them now a while, they win everything, all the games and all these kind of things, um, so that means we are... Um, not in a pole position. Liverpool still going. Liverpool won. West Ham nil. We are really desperate uh, and really greedy to, to, to win, if possible, all the football games we play. Absolutely. Well, Liverpool uh, haven't played that well in their last two games. They go to Brighton this weekend on Saturday lunchtime, live on TalkSport at 12.30. Despite the fact that they've won 15 in a row, I think... There is a possibility here, Matt, that Brighton will halt them. Now, that seems to go against absolutely everything because, you know, they've lost the last four games. Brighton, they've fallen off the pace in the Premier League. They've dropped into the bottom half of the table. But Liverpool just don't seem to me to be in the right zone at the moment. They look a little bit sort of stuttering and staccato. 
Uh, Crookie wouldn't mind Man United stuttering like Liverpool are stuttering at the moment, would you, Crookie? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wouldn't. You'd take that, crikey. Uh, if they're stuttering, then what, what, what are Man United doing? Uh, it's Stalling. <laughs> stopped. Uh, it's Brighton have actually got a reasonable record uh, against Liverpool. Yeah, was it 1-1 last year? Yeah, and, they, and they, didn't they come back from two down at Anfield? This season, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they've, you know, not got the the worst record um, against Liverpool. A, a good team to watch. They're just in a bad moment, aren't they? At the moment, you know, all teams will go through it over the course of the season. At the moment, Brighton are in a really bad run of form. I can't see beyond Liverpool, though. I just can't see beyond them. I think the quality they've got in the in the forward areas, they always create enough and always score enough. To win, to win games. So, but they should, I, they should have not have beaten West Ham last Saturday night. They were lucky to get away with the uh, the, the defeat. They had. I mean, they lost on on Tuesday night against uh, Inter Milan, but they were lucky to get through in that game as well. Obviously, they had a sending off in that match. Although I understand it, I wasn't at the game, but I understand that the referee had a bit of a, a shocker, not just with the the yellow card, but actually maybe Sanchez could have been sent off before then. Um, but. The, I just, I just got the feeling that they, yeah, maybe they've just been going to the well so often. They're just a little bit cream crackered. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the relentless sort of nature of having to chase Manchester City every week. You have to win. You've got no choice. You've got to win every week. Maybe that takes its toll in the end. I think if uh, if they were playing a Brighton side in any kind of form, I would, I would sort of see where you're coming from. But they've lost four in a row. The, the Seagulls, and there've been some pretty poor performances in amongst that. This is not Brighton playing well and, and losing games. It's playing pretty poorly uh, and, and losing games. And, and Jurgen Klopp calls Liverpool mentality monsters. And I yes. think even when they are below par, they find a way to get the job done. It was a difficult scenario for them in midweek. 2-0 from the away game in the Champions League. Do you stick or do you twist? Do you try and conserve some energy knowing that you're pretty much into the quarterfinals. It's never an easy scenario. West Ham actually played quite well at Anfield at the weekend. I think we should give them credit as much as we say that Liverpool were were below par. I think Liverpool will win the game. I'd love to make a case for Brighton, but I think it's another Liverpool win and another opportunity to put some pressure on Manchester City. Yeah, we all want them to uh, win because we want that title race to go to the wire. But but I just got a feeling that this might be a draw down on the uh, south coast. Uh, let's turn our attention to the big subject of the week. Chelsea uh, take on Newcastle at 2pm on Sunday. Now look, off the pitch... And the damage that has been done to Chelsea has been discussed by White and Jordan brilliantly over the course of the week. Um, Talk Radio, Times Radio have all delved into it. And we should probably dwell on the football rather than the off-field situations. I mean, it's very low on the list of priorities when children and mothers are dying in hospitals in Ukraine that Chelsea have been sanctioned and as a result of that, or Abramovich has been sanctioned as a result of that, Chelsea have uh, had their assets frozen although they're playing under license at the moment but I suppose football is our business so we, sh- we should be talking a little bit about it I think I'm, I'm surprised really in a sense having looked at it in detail now over 24 hours and Crook and I have had a lot of conversations about this I'm surprised that if you are going to create specific mechanisms for a frozen asset which has been sanctioned to operate because most frozen assets cannot operate if you're going to create a specific set of circumstances to do that why are you creating a specific set of circumstances that hamstring the operation of that particular asset i don't really get that um 
could you have not done at least the maths to find out how much is required for them to travel to international football matches for 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 example i'm i'm not entirely sure i'm on board with the way it's been handled by the government i think they probably would have been better seizing the asset i mean they had to do something to roman abramovich but i just don't think this is the right way of doing it i mean if you're going to kill the club kill the club if that's what you're going to do if that's your desire then just do it get it done and then let's move on if you're going to seize the asset then then take the asset let it run how it needs to run and operate put somebody else in control and and you take hold of it as the uk government and then let it operate itself until you're at a point where you think you can sell it, then take the money and use it for whatever you want to use it for, hopefully for some sort of charitable appeal for the people that are suffering in Ukraine. But what they've done is sort of like a halfway house, is they've frozen the asset, allowed it to sort of operate, but not fully operate, so it's now losing money at an alarming rate. Staff have already been laid off by Chelsea, and now you're in a situation where Chelsea are sort of worrying about fulfilling their fixture list, And today, they have been told that if a deal to sell the club is not agreed by the time that the licence runs out on May the 31st, then the survival of the club is no longer going to be foreseeable. It's going to to perish as an asset. Because the licence allows them to to play to the end of the season, but it won't be renewed unless Roman Abramovich agrees a sale. Now, I think, personally, and I know I'm going on a bit here, but I've had to think about this a lot, I think that what they're trying to do, the government, are trying to force a sale of the club. They're trying to force it through quickly so that it changes hands, I don't know who to, although I've got a good idea, um, in the next sort of two weeks or so. But actually, if they're going to do that, they could have done that just by seizing the asset anyway because none of the money is going to go to Roman Abramovich. It, it isn't. So even if they, they sell it, it's not going to go to him. I don't understand why they've done it this way. I think actually they've, they've, they've done more to damage the club than, than to protect it. I think there are so many strands to this story and you've covered quite a lot of ground there. I was at Stamford Bridge on Thursday and there were a lot of supporters milling around. There was a lot of shock in the air. Um, I think a lot of Chelsea fans didn't believe that the government would actually have the kahunas to see this through and uh, impose these sanctions on Roman Abramovich. There were also some alarming comments uh, when you look at the wider issue. One woman even told me that, you know, Chelsea fans are suffering as much as people in Ukraine at this moment in time. That's stupid. I don't even know why you're airing that because that's a stupid thing to say. Clearly that's absolute nonsense. And again, the Chelsea fans were singing Roman Abramovich's name uh, against against Norwich. That's not at all... That doesn't enhance the reputation of the club. It it makes you look ignorant to the wider issues in the world. You know, football is secondary to everything that goes on in the wider world. I'm sorry. It's really, really important to me. It's the most important thing in my life, apart from um, my family, friends and everybody else that I know. But ultimately, when there's a war on, it's, it's an irrelevancy, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, and that was the point I was trying to make, really, that uh, I was quite surprised by some of the comments that we got from Chelsea fans outside the ground. But I do agree with you. I think this has been handled a little bit clumsily um, by the government. At the very least, they should have contacted other Premier League clubs, even if they didn't want to ask Chelsea directly, to find out how much it costs to put on uh, a Premier League home game because £500,000, uh, as I've been told by numerous sources, not just from within Chelsea, but other clubs in the Premier League as well, doesn't cut it. 
Um, so that I think that's uh, a big part of the conversations. That have already Twenty thousand pounds to go yeah. uh, to an away game. I mean, they, they, they draw Madrid in the next round. They're going to have to go on EasyJet, aren't they? I mean, and even I then, they I might can, not can, get all their tickets. I can see the logistics officer furiously <laughs> tapping away at the Ryanair website right now, <laughs> trying to get some t- seats for the, for the trip away from home. Look, I'm not going to get into the, the necessarily the politics of it. I agree with you, Sam. That I think that that they're trying to force a sale and yeah. trying to do that as quickly as, as they possibly can so that, that Chelsea can move on in a, in a totally different direction. I, I, I can talk about it from a player's perspective. I've been in a situation where when I was at Bournemouth, the club was, was very close to folding. We weren't getting paid. We hadn't been paid for three months. There was no income. And, and it, it, it was quite feasible that the club would not exist anymore. Um, we fortunately were able to raise enough money through the community um, for the club to continue. But as a player, the safest haven was always the pitch because that's your job, what you do. And whenever there's problems off the field and it, it, it does disrupt lives, you know, particularly you think as a player at Bournemouth, I would try to pay a mortgage. I was only on 350, 400 pound a week as it was. And I hadn't been paid for three months. So that, that was, was difficult. But the best place to be as a player is on the pitch. And I think we saw that with Chelsea in the first half against Norwich, that first half performance where they were very good. It's just a nice respite from everything that's going on around you in a, in a very, very difficult situation for everybody. Well, listen, we, we, we all know from our own jobs that um, you know we work in an industry which is quite precarious in terms of rights issues and whether or not your entity that you work for is going to retain the rights for a, a certain specific league or cup competition which you work on or whatever. And at the end of every season or every two seasons, depending on when the deals are up, everyone starts to panic a little bit about what is going to happen to them over the, the course of the next season. It's slightly different for the players because the players at Chelsea are so well remunerated, that it, the first team players, uh, that it's unlikely to affect them too much. And there'll be a lot of takers for them if Chelsea do end up not being in existence or being in a different division next year. Just, I mean, that's the worst case scenario and unlikely to happen, I think. But, you know, the staff, the wider staff around the club are going to, to suffer. And it is, you know, and that, and that does cause players problems because they're their friends, they're their colleagues, they're the people they see every day. You know, I mentioned Jason Cundy, just one, he's been at their club for, for what, 10, 15, 20 years. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. At, at, I've seen it happen at Ipswich when we were relegated to Ipswich and the number of, of, of um, staff that lose their jobs. Yeah, what about Teresa and Brian, who we both know, you know, work in the press room on a match day. I mean, yeah. those guys, you know, they've probably lost their jobs now. Yeah, no, you know? it's, it's, it's sad. It's and I'm not, and, and listen, sad. I'm not, I'm not criticising the government for sanctioning Roman Abramovich. I think they had to do it. There's no doubt about that. If, that. if that's the evidence that they've got, they've got to take that action and the right to do so. How they do it, I think, is something for debate. And I think, actually... Depending on what happens next, it might be the subject of quite a degree of scrutiny in the next few years. Keep your eye on it. What I would say, and Matt's covered covered it really well there in terms of the emotions of, of players in this scenario. I spoke to a couple of agents yesterday and asked them direct, you know, what would you do if you had a, a player at Chelsea? Now we know they've got the, the outer contract trio. Uh, Christensen, I think, was definitely going to leave anyway. Rudiger was teetering and Athbel Equator unless they can find a buyer quickly, clearly all three will have to leave because under the terms of the licence, they can't renew contracts. Well, no, they have to find that... a buyer because if they don't sell it by the 31st of May, there's no club. That is a fact now. They've been told that. So 
It has to be sold by the 31st of May. Otherwise, there's no Chelsea. So it doesn't matter whether you're out of contract, in contract, you're a well-known player or not. They have to sell it by the 31st. Well, regardless, uh, one of the agents said to me, if Lukaku was my player, and, and clearly it hasn't worked out very well for him since he came back to Stamford Bridge, he said this would be the perfect opportunity for him to force an exit, go back to Italy. He could even say, you know, it's, it's left a bitter taste in, in my mouth that the owner's been sanctioned because of what's happening in Ukraine. I don't want to play for this club anymore. And he could actually use that to engineer an exit. You know, I mean, I think that's just a stupid attitude, isn't it? That's not the kind of attitude that you want from from players in a dressing room at this stage of the season. I p- p- prefer to focus on uh, the idea that Thomas Tuchel came out with yesterday, which I thought was quite a galvanising little speech where he said, as long as we've got shirts, as long as we've got a bus, we will play. Do you know what? That's a much better attitude. And, you know, in adversity, it often brings a group of people closer together. And that was, you know, just talking again from personal experience, the exact same situation at Bournemouth. We were told by the administrators that it was a Friday morning, Bristol City away the next day. If we didn't want to play, the club, the club would fold and everyone can is free to go and find a club. Now, it would have suited five, six, seven players. It wouldn't have suited five, six, seven players, that, that's, that scenario. But as a group, every single player came together and said, we play tomorrow. Yeah. We play against Bristol City. And I think in adversity... You, you learn a lot about people's characters and that's and, people's a, and that was a fourth division team at the time uh, you know, well, or, or, third division was it fourth tier not fourth tier third third, third tier, tier. as a third yeah. tier team at the time you know surely the, the players of Chelsea can come together and just galvanise themselves until the end of the season well, I think there's enough Frank. I think there's enough experience in, 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 in and enough, enough I don't big think characters in that dressing room Athpilicueta will not let them get away with no uh, any sort of downing of tools there's no chance of, of that um, the game itself and we should focus a little bit on the game itself uh, Chelsea played very well in the first half Mason Mount saying he scored his goal for the supporters last night um, but Newcastle playing very well as well actually Newcastle not playing very very well they're just getting results haven't they if you look at their their, 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 their form are they the only side not to lose since the new year? They're the only side in the Premier League that haven't lost Liverpool. a game in 2022. Liverpool as well, I think, are unbeaten, aren't they, in 2022? Are they? I think so. Possibly. Go on. Anyway, Newcastle are doing very well. They are doing very well. And as I said to you, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a dominant performance against Southampton. It was actually quite an open game, but there were some outstanding individual performances. Joe Willock um, in midfield, full of energy. Dan Byrne, uh, who seems to have become a fan's favourite was terrific in both penalty areas. Actually played a big part in the in the Bruno winner because he, he nodded the ball down from a corner at the far post. And it was a brilliant finish. Bruno himself hasn't played many minutes, but already seems to be a, a real cult hero amongst three and a half thousand Newcastle fans who came down to Southampton on a Thursday night. And many of them, I think, are staying down for the Chelsea game. And it might be the last game at Stamford Bridge where away fans are actually allowed uh, for some time, depending on the terms of this licence and what changes are made. It's a club upwardly mobile. It's going in the right direction. I spoke to one of the backroom team after the game last night. He said the team spirit and the the unity and the attitude is fantastic. We need to make sure we can maintain that for the rest of the season. But, I mean, somebody in the press conference even said to me, how many points are they away from the the European places now? That's how far Newcastle have come. I mean, they're too far away from the European places, the answer. But... (laughs) 
they're, they're certainly not. They're not. They're not in danger of going down anymore. Eddie Howe was asked outright, "Are you safe?" Of course, he said no. But they are safe. You know, they're, 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 thirty-one they're points. In a good place. Thirty-one points, and they still got eleven games to go. Now, who would have thunk it? I'll tell you one player I was really pleased for was Chris Wood because yeah. he's had plenty of criticism since he arrived, and yet he, you know, look, look at the job that he's done for the team, sacrificed himself a little bit. The results have been excellent since he's since he's arrived, um, and he needed that goal. Yeah, and so I was delighted for him to finally get off the mark because I think his performances have actually been pretty good when I've when I've watched him play, um, but. Obviously, he hasn't got that goal. And as a striker, that's what you judged on. So he needed that. I was pleased with him. Yeah, that's two o'clock on Sunday, Chelsea against Newcastle. And I think, you know, I hope that the Chelsea fans, I think the majority of Chelsea fans understand that the the wider issues in Ukraine are more important than Chelsea being sanctioned and the, the threat of an issue to the club. And I think that actually, you know, you mentioned a couple of supporters and what they said to you, Crook, down at Stamford Bridge. I don't think, and I hope that that doesn't represent uh, the most of uh, the Chelsea Support. Do you think the atmosphere will be like on on Sunday? Well, do you know what? I think the away away from home, it's been pretty. Uh, it's been a bit of a letdown, really, in terms of uh, the choices of timings when they've celebrated the. I understand why supporters celebrate the owner and what he achieved at Chelsea over twenty years. I think the problem is, is that as more information comes out and more stuff is been uncovered it becomes very difficult to look back at that period in the same light Uh, that's just a personal point of view I think it's um, you know you wrestle with your conscience a lot more when you read further into it I'm reading a a book about the subject at the moment and again it's not the most comfortable uh, of reading so I, I think that if you educate yourself in that regard then maybe you wouldn't be singing especially the owner's name during a tribute to the people of Ukraine. That was not at all palatable for me in the away game at uh, Luton Town. I know that Henry Winter complained about a similar thing happening in the Norwich game as well. Um, The atmosphere at home, I'm hoping, is a more positive one. I think Thomas Tuchel is really good at communicating with the supporters and trying to get them to sort of bend to his mannerisms and, and, and outlook. So I hope that he sets the agenda right ask for the right sort of response. But I don't know what the communication models are going to be between now and then. I don't know if they're allowed to to, to do a programme, for example, where he can communicate with the supporters. I don't know if he's allowed to do an address on the public um, address system at Stamford Bridge because there's so many different sort of restrictions that are, are placed on uh, on Chelsea. So I, 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 the answer is I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like. It's definitely a wait and see uh, for me, as it is with the sale of the club as well. But don't be too surprised if there is something more formal in terms of a bid going forward in the next week or so, I think. Uh, Let's talk about Southampton. Streaky Saints strike again. Um, They've been brilliant in terms of their run of form since Christmas, but they lost 4-0 at Villa on Saturday. They went ahead against Newcastle and lost again. It's another example of them going in front and throwing away the points, Group. Yeah, it's been an unfortunate habit, really, since Ralph Hasenhutl came into the club. But I think he was less concerned by the performance in midweek than he was at Villa Park. I was in his press conference before the Newcastle game. He said they got bullied um, at Villa Park, and he won't let that happen again. I don't think it did happen again. They had plenty of goal attempts. They had plenty of, of decent attacking opportunities. They just didn't take their chances, whereas Newcastle were were reasonably clinical. Dubravka... I gave him an 8 out of 10 in my newspaper ratings because he made some really important saves for Newcastle. So I wouldn't be too concerned by 
the performance for Southampton. They are a streaky team. It's a good opportunity to get back to winning ways because Watford are absolutely dreadful. That change of manager hasn't worked at all with Roy Hodgson coming in. But they've got a big game in the FA Cup next weekend against Manchester City. So I guess there is just a suspicion that maybe they could be distracted by that, although Ralph Harsnews insists that won't be the case. He's desperate to avoid three successive defeats. I guess uh, we'll wait and see. Don't okay. let players know that you do the player ratings, Crookie. They'll be after you. <laughs> the worst thing is, is, don't you do those player ratings at half-time? No, that's a bit of a myth that you uh, you generated. It's it, true. It, back, back in the day, if we had a 5.30 kickoff, uh, there was a Sunday newspaper that did want you to do the ratings at half-time, which was obviously very tricky to do. And you did it, though, didn't you? Well, I followed my instructions, yes, as I always do. So if you give someone four out of ten at half-time and then they scored a hat-trick in the second half, what happened? You don't pick up the paper on a Sunday morning. <laughs> well, luckily, at that back then, there wasn't Twitter, was there, to give you a, a roasting as a result of it. Uh, this might be a draw. Southampton have drawn uh, five of their last nine Premier League home matches. That tends to be uh, the way of things. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Where are you this weekend? I am at Arsenal. Arsenal-Leicester. Oh, yes, what a good game that is, Arsenal-Leicester. Uh, Crookie, where are you? Uh, Bournemouth in the Championship on Saturday and then that uh, Chelsea-Newcastle game for Talk Sport International on Sunday. It'll be a, a fascinating occasion, I think. OK, uh, I'm going to Manchester United on Saturday. I've actually, I'm going to Cheltenham on Tuesday. I know, Crookie, you're going as well, but you're going to go and get inebriated because you've just told me you've got a free bar at, uh, at Cheltenham. I, I, I'm going to go to Cheltenham and drive to Cheltenham, but I'm going to drive back to Manchester to watch Manchester United play Atletico on Tuesday night as well because I think it's that big a game that I'm not even going to drink in the free bar on Tuesday and I want to go and watch it and make, uh, you know, watch a bit of Champions League football. See, I'm hoping I'm going to be inebriated enough by the time that game comes around Tuesday night that I don't remember what happens. <laughs> right, OK. Uh, we'll be back on Monday morning when you wake up. A review of all the weekend's action. Crookie's going to do that uh, because Dancing on Ice has been moved till very late on, the, uh, on Sunday night. So I'm not going to be able to be here, I'm afraid. So Crookie will. Uh, that's good. Uh, we'll see you then. Thank you very much for tuning in. And if you want to listen to all our big weekend action, why not get our TalkSport app? You can flick between the two stations. We've got cricket, West Indies against England ongoing at the moment. And of course, the live Premier League action. Brighton against Liverpool at 12.30. And 5.30 on Saturday, the big one, Manchester United against Tottenham. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.